you to, to say thank you to our string quartet. They're just beautiful. Thank you. Wasn't that wonderful? How many of you, when you, how many like the song Oh Holy Night? Isn't it fantastic? How many of you actually hit the high notes? <laughs> There's a few of you. My wife turned to me and said, we should have secret mics around here and just listen. <laughs> because it is, you know, I got there, I, I actually cheated. I went down to all the low notes and in, in that one part where it gets really high. Um, how, Christmas is just, come upon us like rapidly right it's just I, I think you, we had Thanksgiving and the next day we started Advent and that's Sunday and it's just been like that and it's here and for me I've been excited about doing this message called Christmas Promises because it's just been taking a look at these promises through the Old Testament and there's so many of them so we only kind of looked at some of the ones that are not as maybe well known or, or spoken on and as I was thinking about it I, I was thinking about how um, I am always amazed at a artist who takes a blank canvas and then has in their mind a portrait, uh, uh, and maybe not even looking at one. Someone who can actually just take it and start with strokes drawing until this, this portrait eventually takes shape and you can see the visage. You see the, the, the full outline of the face and all the color and everything added to it. And, and I go, wow, that's pretty amazing. And then when I think about this portrait that is painted of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, beginning all the way in Genesis in the very third chapter, where there is a brushstroke that's laid down through the hands and through the work of real people who throughout the history of the Old Testament keep adding brushstrokes to it till eventually we see This picture takes shape, and in the birth of Christ, we see that the mind of God has painted through individuals over time this beautiful picture. So let me just run through it for you. The Old Testament picture of the Messiah gives this clarity and gains focus as you go through time. And with the first brushstroke that began with God's promise to send a deliverer who will be the offspring of a woman crushing the head of a serpent... In Genesis chapter 3. And then it, it narrows successfully, telling us he will be the seed of Abraham in Genesis 12. And the next breaststroke reveals the tribe of Judah. And then a star rising out of Jacob. And we've looked at some of these over the last few weeks. And then last week, we looked at a, a prophet like Moses. And then if you had a bunch of breaststrokes that we're not going to look at, the descendant of David, Yahweh's anointed, one Lord uh, who delivers from death, our Lord, who delivers from the, a priest king, a virgin conceived, a suffering servant of the Lord. And then this brushstroke, which we will look at today from Jeremiah, that says a king from the branch of David who is just and does what's right. And then you add a few more brushstrokes throughout the Old Testament. The coming son of man, the ruler born in Bethlehem, the one pierced who will cleanse from sin and uncleanness. And you have this portrait over time that paints this picture, both in promise and its particulars with the brushstrokes, this portrait of who the Messiah is. And when I think about the majesty of that, and I think about the fact that, and you seriously consider this, I'm struck with the wonder of it all. Jesus Christ is the only person in the history of the world of whom explicit details of his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection were given centuries beforehand. 
And it happened to one man only in the entire history of the world. He's the only person. I mean, who could draw a picture of a man not yet born and do so hundreds of years prior to that? And you can do critical scholarship and you're kind of going, well, you know, historically, look at it. It was really funny. The higher criticism, which started in about the 16th, 17th century as they started doing more of that. Today, more archaeological findings are proving these things to be true. They're finding more things to actually kind of come underneath and support what the Old Testament has to say. Nobody knew, we think about it, over 500 years ago when Shakespeare was born, there was no one writing about this great poet who's going to kind of emerge from our, our world. And, and then even 250 years ago when a great general, Napoleon, was born, no one was predicting his birth. They didn't give brush strokes of who he was. And how many 100 years ago thought of one of the greatest basketball players that could exist in a Michael Jordan, right? And, and then just, not, just 10 years ago, who would have known 10 years ago when I came to this church that, that I would have the cutest, smartest, and most talented grandchildren born to me? <laughs> I mean, that wasn't predicted. Yet in the Bible, we have the most striking, unmistakable likeness of a man portrayed not by one, but by 20 or 25 artists, none of whom had ever seen the man they were painting. And this morning, what I want us to do is look at one brushstroke. That happens and occurs in Jeremiah, who Jeremiah takes his brushstroke, but he doesn't paint this promise once. He does it two times. He does it in chapter 23, and he does it again in chapter 33. He does it one time prior as an announcement to the people who are under this incredible oppression of our own leaders that they would be sent into captivity to a land called Babylon. A king would come in, and, and, and it was pretty. It wasn't like a huge, hard thing to predict because Babylon was moving that way. But that he predicts that at a certain time later, they will come back when they're in Babylon. And he predicts the same thing again. These verses that you find in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. He's talking about Judah and Israel. What he's talking here about at that time, there was a divided kingdom. There was a south kingdom of Judah and it was ruled through Jerusalem. And then there was a northern king of Samaria, Israel, which had already been brought into captivity by the Assyrians. So now the only one left of, of the 12 tribes of Israel are these two tribes that are in Judah that are ruled by a king. And he says, guess what? That both these groups that have been dispersed and scattered and have been punished and felt the consequences of their wrong will be brought back someday, he says, and they will live. They will be saved and they will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior. Some translations will translate that last line, the Lord, our righteousness. I kind of like that, he, our righteousness. But the word actually can mean both righteous our righteousness, and it can also mean our Savior. It, it has both those meanings. And so in the NIV, in their newest translation, they actually use the words righteous Savior. This promise of justice of a king that will reign from a branch that comes from a stump called David, it would mean that this ruling, this, this house of David would at some point be cut off. And when it was cut off, this tree was felled and it went into captivity. He's proclaiming that someday a tender shoot, which is what many of the prophets will call this, a tender shoot, this branch will come out from this at some point in history, which would have been from that date almost 500 years later in Jesus. 
And the, and the word branch is a very important word, and I'll just take a moment on this, because it's a word that is most widely used as a messianic kind of title all throughout in, in places in the Old Testament. It occurs at least six times in the writings of three different prophets. And it points to the plan of God being worked out in history. Jesus is then this righteous branch of the line of David, and you read it in the stories in Luke and Matthew and others. You'll see it always points to, here is this guy Joseph, who is of the descendancy of David. And Matthew, in his gospel, has some fun with it. It's kind of a play on words. See, Joseph and Mary, as after they have the child, Jesus is, is born, and the, and the wise men come and uh, visit them, and they go another way because they don't want to tell Herod because Herod's with this edict to try and kill all the children under two, which is somewhat common at times with rulers who are very, very much afraid of losing their power. They go to Egypt. They're in Egypt, and in Egypt... An angel appears to Joseph while they're in Egypt, and he says, get up and take this child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, Matthew chapter 2, verses 22 and verse 23. And then he says, but when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So he got this, he's supposed to go, he doesn't want to go, and then it tells us, having been warned in a dream. So here is this guy Joseph, now in a number of different times, and God still speaks to people through dreams and visions and different things like that. Always, always aligned to what his word has to say. But having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went to live in a town called Nazareth. And here's what, here's what Matthew says. So fulfilled, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. A little play on words. The name Nazareth is very close to the Hebrew word for branch or shoot. Netzer. And someone from Nazareth called a Netzer, which Jesus was called throughout his life. He's a Netzer. Jeremiah is basically saying this Netzer, born in Nazareth, and Matthew is making this claim, a shoot will grow from this tree, the stump of David. He will be the Messiah. And so in this brushstroke of this branch, what I want to have us truly look at this morning is, is what kind of the color and the, and the hue that is placed on this brushstroke that you don't find necessarily in some of the others. They're, they're, they're pointed to, but it's directly said here. It's said that a wise ruler will, who, who will come, he'll govern well. A leader will do what is just and right, and he'll be given a title. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our Savior. The Messiah King... What they were hearing here comes with the promise of justice. And the people were hungry for that. Here's why the promise of justice is so important. Here's what it meant to them. The promise of justice is this idea that it brings hope. It says the days are coming when I will raise up. So it means at some point in the future, I'll raise up a king who will reign. He'll reign with wisdom and he'll do what is just and right in the land. No one hopes for justice. No one hopes for justice more than someone who's oppressed. Think about it. Those who long for justice are those who have been deeply bruised by injustice. Those who have been imprisoned by a system of injustice. And if you get the picture of this, you see how important this is because the verses that are prior to that promise that is given here in Jeremiah, listen to these verses in Jeremiah 23, 1 through 4. This gives you this backdrop of those who are longing and hoping for justice. It says, the Lord declares, I will send disaster upon the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep. And what are shepherds? Caring for the sheep, right? No, he says, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were called, they were to care for. 
And instead of leading my flock to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. And now I will pour out upon you judgment for the evil you have done to them. You have used your power given to you as leaders, both religious and political leaders in that day. You have used your power for personal gain and self-promotion. And in so doing, you have crushed the very people that you're to care for. And these people were feeling the weight of not having privilege. They were feeling the weight of going to courts and having them decided against them. And then he says, I will gather you together. Listen to you, you who are hoping for justice, because justice brings hope. You who are hoping for justice, I will gather together the remnant of my flock from whenever I have sent them and will bring them back into their own fold and they will be fruitful and increase and I will appoint responsible leaders to care for them, which is what's going to happen. They come back and for a number of years they have responsible leaders caring for them. You need not be afraid again. All of them shall be accounted for continually. Don't you? That's what you're kind of hoping for, that the leaders will be accountable. So who are the people who cry out for justice? It's the ones who have been wronged, who live daily under the misuse of power, who have been abused by the very power that has been created to protect them and care for them. Think about it this way. Who are the people who sing songs of hope? Songs like Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, or, or, or Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, or Go Down Moses. Those are well-known Negro spirituals with a rich hope that they would someday be rescued by a deliverer and brought to a land where there was justice. I was reading through some of those um, old spirituals and I was just so impressed by how rich there was and this deep longing that they would sing together in their hearts that someday they might experience justice. And many of them didn't think of it in this life. They, They were hoping for it in the life to come. If you have difficulty resonating with this deep hope for justice, sometimes it's because you maybe haven't felt what it means to be under the oppressive hand of injustice. Now, some of you may be in a place where you've experienced that. What does it mean to to lay under the yoke, that kind of yoke that just is oppressing? Well, a few years ago, I began to say, God, I want to learn more about this. And I began to, because you can grow in, in your love for justice. You know that? You, you may go, well, I, I'm not sure. Anybody ever read those passages? I used to read them. I go, I, I, you know, I, I haven't grown up with a great need for justice. I haven't felt, you know, I felt injustice. It's like when I was taking a test and I didn't get, you know, an essay. I think, come on, I want, that should be better than that, teacher. Right? Or, or maybe you missed a cut on an athletic, I mean, I felt it, but... I started to think to myself, what about people who have really experienced this? And so I started to go back. I started reading all kinds of different things. You can grow in your love for justice by reading things. I went back and started reading stuff around Lincoln and the Civil War. And I started reading about Harriet Tubman and read a couple of her her biographies. And I was just really moved by that and continued to read. I read and continued to read through the Jim Crow area and the laws and that that, that era. And and I, I remember reading through different things. If you want to read a really good book today about justice, read a book by Brian Stevenson called Just Mercy. 
You can find ways to come face to face with it. This past year I went to Montgomery, Alabama with some of my college buddies just to be able to go down there and, and heard some stories from some people who actually live, um, and we read this book, King and Kennedy, and, and, and went down there just to hear their stories during that time through the Selma marches and some of the things that happened. And I, you know, you can, you can go way at a second, aren't you going way over in this one direction? And here's the thing. If, I, I just want to say this. It is important for us to understand as best we can the kind of oppression that someone else has lived under. Doesn't mean all of it. You have to, you need balance in this. I'm not saying that, but if you don't understand it, there's a chance that you haven't um, allow it to touch your heart. Listening to some of this, I, I just was face to face with poverty and you can hear it in, in, in what we do today. There's a group called the International Justice Mission around the world that's setting people free from tra- trafficking and bondage. And I'm not just talking about sex trafficking. I'm also talking about the kind of bondage where some kids are put in work labor camps at young ages. We have a group of people, and I w- I've done it the last two years. I haven't done it this year, but are wearing ties and wearing dresses. And, and it's just a reminder that there are people who are suffering oppression, and they, they are hoping for justice. And, and I wore this tie the last couple of years, and I tell you, it, I don't. How many like wearing ties, guys? You, it almost feels like you're getting choked, right? Which is exactly what they do. They want you to remember daily when you put it on as you go through the day. There are people who are hoping for justice. They send you a story every day. There's a story here of Cassie. If you look around, there are some people who are wearing ties, or, or they're kind of wearing dresses. You can ask them. In fact, raise your hand. If you're doing that, just raise your hand if you're doing the dress ember thing, okay? Uh, so there's a number. You just can ask them why they're doing it. But listen to this story. And this is not going to be an easy story to hear. This came just a few days ago in this dress ember readings. It said, Cassie was 12 years old when she was trafficked in the Philippines, and she followed a trustworthy family, mem- uh, family friend to Manila. So she leaves her town, goes to Manila some 800 miles away from her home. She gets there, and this person turns on him. She's raped. She's routinely forced to perform sex acts in front of cameras for customers that are located all around the world. She's become a victim of cyber sex, and she's one of the six children in that house who is caught in this web. And the trafficker started grooming even younger children, children six years old of age, boy. She, she sells in her story that they have an 11-month-old baby that was taken, and in, in, in the guy who's a trafficker goes around and tells people this is their child so that at a certain age he can just turn this child into another trick. Yet Cassie was not alone, as she had maybe felt. People were looking for her. It says in this article, after months of investigating Cassie's trafficker, government agents, Dressember partner, and International Justice Mission planned a rescue operation. And IGM rescued me, she writes, and transferred me into my second home. And then she smiles, they said, and she's just eager to talk about her second home because it is beautiful aftercare shelter where she now lives. And Cassie is like a big sister to the young children rescued on that same night. And the baby girl is now two years old. And the person who writes this story says, Cassie is my reason for advocating this December. And her story breaks my heart because her story is just one of millions of stories like her of people around the world who are just hoping for justice. 
longing literally to be set free from oppression. And I have to share with you, when you read the word of God and you read a a promise like that, a person who is living under that kind of oppression, they don't read by that verse quickly. They see that verse and all their heart hopes that this God would bring justice. Yet the story also fills my heart with hope, not only because Jesus promises justice, as the Psalms would say, it may not be now, but it will be someday. But he's also bringing justice to the work of people, like IGM and others. People who have made a decision that they're going to do as best they can to do what is right. And so, as you think about this, not only does justice um, bring hope, but justice does what is right. Justice has this heart about it that says, if it's the right thing, no matter what the consequences might be, no matter how inconvenient it might be, no, no matter what the cost might be, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to step forward and do what's right. Jeremiah 23.5 says, the days are coming when I will raise up a king who will reign wisely. And oh, don't we long for that? Don't you long for I don't care. I really don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, or centrist, or red, yellow, green, blue, whatever color it is. We all long for leaders who are wise and just and right. He says a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. The promise of justice, catch this, is not only that it brings hope to people, but it is that someone will come who will do what is right no matter what the consequences. And for Jesus, the Messiah... He was that king who did right no matter what the consequences. He was often misunderstood. He was rejected by his family. Throughout his ministry, the religious leaders harassed him and questioned him and held him in contempt. For Jesus the Messiah, he did what was right no matter if if it was inconvenient or not. He was constantly on the road. It says in the word of God, he had no place to set his head. He would, he would go into towns in the beginning and he'd begin to do healings and they would tell that person, please don't tell anybody because part of what he wanted to do was go from town to town to share about the news of God and this great God who has come to save those from their sin. He wanted to go around and share that message and he wanted to do healings, but he said, please don't tell anybody. And they ended up, it says in scripture, you'll see again and again, they had to go to lonely, inconvenient places. And for Jesus, the Messiah King, doing right was was something he did no matter what the cost. His investment was total. As he stood before prejudicial judges facing a kangaroo court of self, a promoted, self-promoted mob, basically appointed mob, without principle looking as they would for any evidence to convict Jesus. And it was his life that was cost because he was so desiring to give justice, to do what was right no matter what the cost, no matter how inconvenient no matter what the consequence. And that's real love. Think about it. It's, it's not the kind of emotional, I, I, I can get moved by the moment kind of love. It's, it's genuine from the heart. It's principled action that says, I am going to do this no matter what. And that's the kind of people who have been touched by Jesus, who have been touched by this incredible um, rightness of this God who, who is willing to, to bring hope and, and, and touch their lives with a sense of, of his presence and his love no matter what, they turn around and do that. 
People like this do things other people just don't do. People who do what is right, they do things that other people don't do. They look at their finances and they rebudget their spending so that doing right is a priority. And their pocketbook actually feels it. They do without so others that don't have can have. It's not an emotional thing as, you know, we need some some help as all the organizations are crying. It's something principled. It's something they do again and again. It's, it's a kind of a, I'm going to tithe myself into this. People who do um, what is right, they just do things other people don't do. They look at their time and they'll actually block off their schedule and say, you know what, on a regular basis, I'm going to help someone who is, is in need. I'm going to go to a food shelter. I'm going to meet with some people who are in a home where they are, you know, they've been medically, um, through some kinds of accident, unable to function. And I'm going to help them. I, they, they take their time and they block it off. People like this do things other people don't do. They use their personal talents and giftedness to make hopes and dreams of other oppressed people reality. And people like this do things other people don't do. They stand up for the underprivileged, the underdog, the person at the office who's made fun of, the student at school who's called names. The person who does what is right is not like all the other reindeers who used to laugh and call him names. It's kind of got a Christmas ring to it, doesn't it? Jesus and Micaiah King did what was right. Thank God he did. He left his palace in heaven. That's what Christmas is all about. He left his palace in heaven, became a vulnerable little baby, entrusting his life, think about it, to a teenage mother and a blue-collar dad growing up in Podunk, Galilee, and on and on and on and on you could go about this Jesus who no matter what the consequences, no matter how inconvenient it was, no matter what the cost, was willing to do what was right. And that's the kind of leader that people are hoping for. On Wednesday this last week, I was preparing this message, and it's interesting how God works. And I'm, I'm, I'm on my back porch, and, and it's heated, so you don't have to worry about me freezing. But anyway, and my wife kind of came through the door, and she was just crying. Uh, and it was kind of a, what I would call a melting kind of crying, you know what I mean? It just I was going, whoa, inside, you know. So when I get working, it's like, don't disturb me. But this was one of the things we were going, even me, I caught it. This was important. She stood at the door, she's crying, and she shared with me that a story about one of her cousins. And it was posted on Facebook, and she had been reading it. I I think it's her second cousin's daughter, but I don't know how those things all fall out, but she's related. And her name was Allie. And, and, and the header on the words in the Facebook post said, thank you, Allison Fisher. So Allie is writing about Allison. Just keep that clear. So Allie, one of Grace's relatives, is writing about Allison Fisher. Allie begins her post. Last night we received a call from a Minneapolis number. I answered the phone and this lady says, I'm an Uber driver and I'm with a girl right now who's having a seizure. Her phone says she has epilepsy and she's to contact you. I knew immediately she was talking about our Hannah, our daughter. And I asked Uber driver where she was, and she said she was taking Hannah to Fairview East Bank Emergency. And she adds a little aside, we found out later that Hannah was at work and knew that something wasn't right, so she called an Uber driver to take her to ER. I then spoke with the nurse and gave Hannah's medical information. After getting off the phone with the nurses and the doctors, we as Hannah's parents assumed that it was a seizure. We had none of those, so 
they felt like things were under control at the hospital. Allison, the Uber driver, contacted me again. And she asked if Hannah needed anything, that she would go sit with her or bring her clothes or that she was praying for her. She knew that her area code is far away and she didn't want Hannah to be alone. And throughout the night, Allison was continually in contact with us. Prior to 24 hours ago, Allison Fisher was a complete stranger. The next morning, we found out that Hannah's situation was much more severe than the usual seizures. Hannah had actually had an infection that was shutting down her organs. And she had coded in the parking lot. But after tests and IV medication, her fever did break, and she's better now. But throughout all of this, here's what Allie writes, even today as I write, Allison has been in contact with me, offering her prayers and support. The last 24 hours have been extremely emotional on our family. You know, when you have a child, you worry about them no matter what age they are. With Hannah, we may even worry a little bit more because of her epilepsy. She wants to be a normal kid. Yes, she's 20, and she's still a kid to us. But it's because of people like Allison Fisher, who was a complete stranger, that made last night a little bit easier. Her love and support for my child speaks volumes to the type of person that she is. She just wanted to do what was right. I'm sure she was paying a cost by not going out and getting more rides. I'm sure this wasn't very convenient. No doubt there were some consequences. Allie continues, I asked for her address because I wanted to send her a thank you and a gift. And she said that she wouldn't feel comfortable accepting a gift because it's the least she could do. And I love this. Allie writes, no, Allison, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. You went above and beyond and you continued to amaze us today, offering your prayers and support. And then she posted this Facebook picture And she says, I ask that you share this post. I ask that if you are in the metro area and you get Allison Fisher as your driver, you thank her and know that you are getting the best of the best. Also tip her really well because she, (laughs) because know that if something happens to you, Allison will take care of you. She does what's right. There are people under oppression all around our world. You may experience it even here. And, and we're told the promise that justice will come and God will be bringing it and your hope will not go unfulfilled. Even though it may not happen in this life, it will happen. And there is one who has come and he has come no matter what the consequence, no matter what the cost, no matter how inconvenient it is, who says he'll do what's right. And what I love about that is that people who have been touched by this God, if Jesus has touched your heart, you want to go out and bring hope. You want to do what's right. I look at this, I got to tell you, this puts me to, this, this puts me to shame. I would be the Uber driver that says, are you okay? The doctor's got you. I can't do anything else. I'm just too busy. I got this to take care of. I got this to do. But, but these are the kind of moments that I think Jesus can speak to your heart and my heart and say, you know what? There are more important things in this life. 
And when you feel and know the Spirit of God is calling you to do it, you have to be discerning on this. He's calling you to step in it, then you step into it. You be the kind of person who does what it takes and says, you know what? My pocketbook will show us. It will evidence the fact that I'm a person that does what is right. My time will give some time to this. It'll show that I'm a person. It's not just all about my social life, about my climbing up the ladder of success or whatever else it is, but it is going to show in this area. It's going to show in my time and in my resources, in what I pray about, in how I live, and how we as a people Lean into this brushstroke. And allow God to take a brushstroke right now. And paint more into our hearts. A desire to bring that hope. And to do what is right. And as I go through this passage of scripture. I think it's truly interesting that. You can't leave it without this last verse. Justice requires Mercy. He says in chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, I will send disaster upon leaders of my people. I will pour out my judgment upon you for the evil you have done to them. Here's what makes, this is going to kind of throw this a little bit, a wrench in this, but here's what makes the coming Messiah King such a good ruler. He's just, he's fair, he doesn't let a person get away with wrong, he upholds um, the law, he builds in life natural consequences. Justice rings true in our hearts. It's actually a part of our DNA. It's how we're hardwired. It actually testifies to the image of God in us. God is a God of justice. And the reason Jesus is such a good ruler is because he, he doesn't let go of justice. He holds on to it. Because we all cry out for justice when we see it, when we see injustice. Everyone wants justice. Just think about it. This Thanksgiving, if you were uh, you know, taking the, the meal and you had pie, like let's say pumpkin pie at the end, you're cutting pieces of pie, and you cut a piece of pie. I, this, this happened in our home quite often. Like my mom would cut a piece of pie. My older brother was here. I was here. And she would hand the piece of pie, and I'd go, wait a second, not fair. His pie's bigger than mine. This is this call for justice. It's just hardwired into us. Hey, wait. Or, or go to a kid's sports event and watch adults, or any sports event for that matter. Seriously, it's just hardwired into you. Listen to this. You can go to any sports event, and this is what you'll hear. Ump, you're blind. That was clearly a ball. We get upset when an ump misses it by a little bit, so much so now that we're getting, you know, everything has been recorded in football and everything else, because we are people of what? Justice. Come on, lose some weight, they say, so you can get into the game and call a foul. I've heard that. Ref, have you ever heard of high sticking? You gotta be kidding, ref. The kid's acting. Shouldn't get a yellow card? Whoa. When are you gonna call over the, the net? I mean, that slam was definitely over the net. Wake up, that's the third ball that's gone past the, 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 the line here on the back of the court. Aren't you, uh, come on, are you gonna call it out? I mean, name it. We're wired for justice. Everyone wants it until, guess what? The finger of justice points to you. And justice says you're the one on trial. And you get caught. And then, and then everything changes. Everyone is calling for mercy. And we reason it wasn't that bad or it wasn't my fault. If this or that would have happened and then been in place, I wouldn't have cheated or lied. Or if your reaction would have been different, you say to your spouse, I would have reacted differently. 
It wasn't for the temptations around me every day. I wouldn't feel lost. I wouldn't feel greed. I wouldn't overeat. I wouldn't do whatever it is. On and on our excuses go because when justice comes to us, we don't care for it. But what makes Jesus such a great judge and ruler is his consistency. You can count on him to be fair and to do what is right out of the wealth of his wisdom. No one will get away with anything with Jesus, which puts us in a bad predicament. Because when the righteous judge points his finger at our sin, our hurtful actions, our condemning attitudes, is a failure to love, our selfishness that wounded and hurt others, he says justice needs to be done and we cry for mercy. And here's what's so interesting. In the heart of God is both justice and mercy. So how do you work that one out? That's what he says in Jeremiah 23, 6. He notes and he puts this and he adds, he shall be king and who shall rule with wisdom and justice and cause righteousness to prevail everywhere throughout the earth and his name will be the Lord, our righteousness, our savior. Judah will be saved and Israel will live in peace. Basically saying all people when Jesus comes because this Messiah King will take your sentence, your misdeeds, your wrongs, your mistakes, your willfully defiant hand in the air, forget it, God, I'm doing my own thing. And he will on a cross take all of it. He will live. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The birth as a baby, he will grow up and live without sin. He will go to a cross that he didn't deserve so that he would take on himself what we ourselves deserve. And he says in this promise, the Lord, your righteousness... If you are willing to just in faith make an exchange and say, God, I want your mercy, I want your grace. Not the kind of says, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, and, and it really is not, you know, you know, you could probably let go of this one. We, we reasoned this way. Oh, God, he's just such a good God. He could, no, he, he, either is a God of justice or he isn't. And he won't be good if he doesn't. So he makes a way for this to happen. He says, my mercy will overcome my justice because I will take care of your wrong. I'll pay the bill. I'll make an exchange. When I come as a baby, that's what this whole Christmas is about. I have come in flesh so that you can say in these songs that we sing and we praise God with, the Lord, my righteousness, not my deeds. Let me read to you, and I'm going to ask the team to come as we just finish. All this is due to the incredible love and kindness and patience of God. The reason God doesn't come with justice right away when we do something wrong, the reason we even wait to the very end is because he's always waiting for us to own up. He's just waiting for us to say, yeah, God, I really did it. My heart is, is there's blackness in my heart, and I, I need a new heart. I need for this, this justice to be overcome with your mercy. And that's not saying I just you're not going to care about it. It's not a big deal to you. It's just that it is. It all is. It's such a big deal that he says here in Titus 3, 4, and 7, and you can look, look at these verses, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, that's a, that's, a, that's a birth kind of expression. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the hope of eternity.